my grandpa gave me his boat when he passed away. I'll, I'll never forget it. It was like uh, he passed away. My grandma told me to come get it. It was a 1971 um, V-bottom aluminum boat with a 1971 65 horsepower Evinrude engine, outboard engine attached to the back of it. And I mean, this thing was a classic. And I, I had it. It was one of those things where as a child, I grew up fishing with my grandpa. And so every time I saw it, every time I looked at it, every time I put it in the water, it was, it was an instant transport to like some of the greatest memories of my life. So there was this time I uh, went to Lake Conroe and I was going to go fishing and I went to Scott's Ridge, which is a place that you can launch for free. Now it's on Lake Conroe. There's a reason you can launch for free at Scott's Ridge. It's like one of the worst boat launches on the face of the planet. It sits on this point, and there is all of this wind. There's all of these crazy waves, and it is just an incredibly difficult place to launch a boat. So I launched a boat, went out fishing all day, had a blast. I was on my way in, and the lower unit in the, in the outboard engine completely went out. Prop would not spin. Actually, if you, you lift it up, you could just spin it like that. Like something, it, the whole lower unit went out. I wasn't moving. I had a trolling motor, so I got the trolling motor to get me to where the launch dock was. But I, I just got to about 15, 20 yards, and then all of a sudden, the wind was too much. The battery was dying. There was like three and four foot swells in Lake Conroe, just crashing against this boat, moving me everywhere. And there I was, this total fool stuck in my boat right outside of the boat ramp and I couldn't get there. There were people that were lining up waiting for me and I just, I couldn't make it. So I did the only thing a good captain does, right? You go down with the ship. I tied a rope to the bow and I jumped in. I took off through the boat. I jumped into the water, landed, and I was like, I'm going to swim this thing up to the dock. The only problem was the water was way deeper than I expected. So all of a sudden, I couldn't touch. My crocs were floating off everywhere. And I'm sitting there just trying to like swim and pull this boat. And the waves are crashing. The boat is moving and it's pulling me under the water and up out of the water. I wasn't swimming, I was literally drowning. But I had all this pride of like, I won't let go of the boat. And if it takes me back to sea, so be it. But I'm going to get this thing in there. And, and I mean, it, it quickly got out of control. I don't know if you've ever been in one of those situations where um, <clears throat> you realize how powerful water is. But it is a force you cannot contain. It is a force you cannot control, and I experienced that quickly. And so as the boat was drifting off, and as I was just holding on, getting ragdolled all in and out of the water, this guy pulls up in this clean, sweet-looking bass boat, pulls right up to the dock, stops at the dock. He throws me a, a little donut with a rope attached to it. I grabbed a hold of it, and he's pulling me in, and here I am. I got a hold of the boat. I got a hold of this, and he's literally dragging me in. And once I got in, I tied my boat up. I just laid flat on the dock. I was soaking wet. I was exhausted. He looked down at me and he said, it was a little more than you thought it would be, wasn't it? Boy, isn't that true? I don't know about you, but if you've ever been in a place where you have experienced the power of water, there is something about the waves, there is something about the crash of them, there is something about the vastness of it that just tells you you're not in control. That was the view in Jewish history when it came to water. 
if we're just, let's all be Jews for a moment and walk through the Old Testament. When it comes to water, we remember back to what? The, the first thing that we remember, <clears throat> story of the flood, right? Water encapsulating the whole of the earth and literally drowning everything but Noah's family and some animals, right? Water was vast. Water was powerful. Water was unstoppable. In Greek mythology, the, the, the pantheon of gods that were the most powerful, the most unstoppable, the most ruthless were all the gods of the sea. Those were the gods that you could not contain. Those were the gods you did not get in a fight with. Those were the gods that took you down to the depths of the sea. If we remember back to Jonah, who was swallowed by <coughs> a fish, it wasn't the fish that was powerful. It was the storm and the waves that were crashing against the boat. And they said, why is this happening? And Jonah said, throw me overboard. So they threw Jonah overboard into the sea and a fish swallowed him up. But their fear was in the water. When a storm broke out on the Sea of Galilee, you remember the disciples' response, right? It's Matthew 8, 25-27. It says, So the disciples came and woke him up, saying, Lord, save us! We're going to die! Verse 26, He said to them, Why are you afraid, you of little faith? Then he got up and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Listen to what they said. Verse 27, The men were amazed. They were blown away, and they asked this question, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the sea obey him. Who is this that he's, he even has the water under control? Water in the form of oceans, of bodies of water, of lakes, was seen as the most powerful, chaotic, untamable force that no man could navigate. It was seen as totally out of control power that nobody dare messed with. Yet what does Jesus do? Jesus shows up and not only does he show up and command the water to stop, not only does he exhibit control over the water, but he takes this great power and he turns it into great healing. What did Sophia read, right? Rivers of living water will flow from you. Jesus was the one who stepped into a power that was chaotic, that was out of control, that no man would fathom, no man would mess with, no man would try to navigate. And yet, what does he do? He steps into the chaos. He steps into the unnavigatable. He steps into the challenge, and he brings peace and he brings healing. Maybe you feel like you are drowning in a sea right now. A sea of chaos. A sea of worry. A sea of guilt. A sea of fear. A sea of anxiety. Yet what does Jesus do? He steps right into that. And not only does he calm that, but he heals it. When we talk about water, we are, and as the metaphor of the Holy Spirit, we are talking about God's power to heal. Let's start at the very beginning. Let's go through Genesis all the way to Revelation. Let me, let me just tell you, like I, did, I told you, uh, I've got a ton of notes, and I know that's, that's a dangerous thing to do when you're speaking to a crowd, but I believe in you. I think you're ready for it. 
I think you want it. Do you want it? Come on, we didn't just come here to, you know, talk a little about what we are going to go in deep. Where's my drummer? Right? We are going to wade into the deep waters of the Spirit. And we have to start here, Genesis 2, 8 through 10. I promise you, if you will walk with me through this history, this is going to come alive at the end. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. Circle that in your Bible. And there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Verse 10, a river flowed from the land of Eden, watering the garden and then dividing it into four branches. The most important passage is right here, so focus with me. Ezekiel 47, 1 through 12. In fact, if it helps you, uh, close your eyes and in your mind's eye, allow yourself to just see the picture that is painted here. Follow along, follow along here. Just listen. Whatever you have to do, don't miss this. Here we go. The man brought me back. This is Ezekiel sharing a vision. The man brought me back to the entrance to the temple. And I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. Remember that, the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. Verse 2, he then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east. And the water was trickling from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits, and then he led me through the water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through the water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through the water that was up to the waist. Verse 5, he measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and deep, and it was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? Do you see it yet? Do you see it in your mind yet? Then he led me back to the bank of the river where I arrived there. I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and, and it goes down into the Araba where it enters the Dead Sea. Why is, why is the Dead Sea the Dead Sea? Because nothing can live there. The salt and mineral content is so high that everything dies. Even the, the trees and the shrubs and everything that tries to pop up on the outside of the banks, they all die. There's no fish. There's nothing living in the Dead Sea because it's dead. The mineral content's too high. Yet he says, when it empties this water flowing east from the temple, when it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be a large number of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from the Engedi to the Eneglaim. There will be places for spreading nets. 
The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. Verse 11, but the swamps and the marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Verse 12, do you see this yet? Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. Do you see it yet? Do you see the river at the beginning of creation? Do you see the river flowing out of the temple that is bringing life, that is bringing healing? Ezekiel 36, 25, Ezekiel does it again. He says, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away and you no longer will worship idols. And I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take you out of stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. Let's look at the prophets. Jeremiah 2, 13. For my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. That was a metaphor, by the way. That was, they didn't actually go dig cisterns. He's saying they tried to fill themselves up with themselves. He said the problem is they're broken. How come you can't satisfy yourself? You're broken. So when a broken person tries to fill themselves up with their own water, what happens? It just pours out. And you're just empty again. You're just hurting again just long again. Yet what happens when we reach for him and we take his cistern and we take his living water? It stays in. Isaiah 44 verse 3, for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Psalm 36 8, they feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of Delights, Psalm 46, 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. Do you see it yet? Joel 3, verse 18. In the day the mountains will drip new wine and the hills will flow with milk. All the ravines of Judah will run with water. A fountain will flow out of the Lord's house and will water the valley of acacias. Zechariah 13.1. On that day, a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from their sin and their impurity. Zechariah 14.8. On that day, living water will flow from Jerusalem. Half of it east to the Dead Sea and half of it west to the Mediterranean Sea in summer and in winter. Do you see it yet? Let's go to the New Testament. John 3, verse 5. Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. John 4, 13 through 14. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It will become a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Some of us are Jews, some of us are Gentiles, some of us are slaves, and some of us are, are, are free, but we have all been 
baptized, the Greek word for immersed in water. We have all been baptized into one body by one spirit. And we all share the same spirit. Remember that Ezekiel 47, that, that vision that I shared with you? Listen to this. Revelation 22, 1 through 2. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are the healing of the nations. And that is the story of water. From the very beginning to the very end, do you see it yet? That there is a stream that started in Genesis chapter 2 in creation that was watering everything and giving life and flowing east from a temple that was flowing east to a person that came through that person and down to us. It is something, the story of water in scripture as a metaphor for the spirit is something that comes into us and then flows out of us, and it is representative of the healing power of God. It flows in, and then it flows out. My son, the other night, I was in the kitchen, and I was bake. I was actually baking cookies for Anna and I. Gosh, I'm a great husband, right? <laughs> I was in the kitchen. I was baking cookies for Anna and I, and my son comes down the stairs, and, and as he gets down the stairs, he surprises me, sneaks up behind me, and he says, hey, Dad. I said, yeah. And he said, I, 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 at school today, we learned about fairness, and here's what fairness is. Fairness is when if somebody is doing something and somebody else doesn't get to do it, well, that's not fair. So fairness is if you are doing something that I get to do it too. So dad, you are making cookies and you and mom are going to eat cookies. So fairness means that I get to eat cookies with you brilliant attempt, right, Jeff? I see you nodding. That's pretty good. He did a good job with that. I looked at him, and I said, son, got news for you. Fairness isn't real. There's no such thing as fairness. The world is not fair. There is no such thing. Thank God God is not fair. God is just. God is not fair. If God was fair, we would burn in hell. But thank God he's not fair because he's gracious, he's merciful, he's kind. If, there, if everything was about fairness, there would be no blessing, there would be no favor, there would be no mercy, there would be no grace. There is no such thing as fairness. And he said, I'm going to go ask mom. So he goes and asks mom, and I don't know what you said to him, but he comes back to me, and he comes back to me, and he says, Dad, it's still not fair that you're making cookies, and I don't get any cookies. And, and I, I am not kidding you. This, this strikes me even today. I remember a moment as a kid where my dad did this exact same thing. I looked down at him, and I said, Buddy, tough luck. <laughs> tough Look, you, you know what? I can see my father standing in a gravel driveway looking down at me. I don't even remember what I was saying then, but I remember this moment where he looked at me and he said to me, pal, tough luck. <laughs> 
And it was so striking to me because that was placed in me 30-some-odd years ago as a child. And here I am saying the same exact thing to my son. What was placed in me here is coming out of me right here. How do we deal with that? How do you deal with a scenario where you had a front row seat to a dysfunctional marriage and you grew up seeing your parents at each other's throats and now you're following Jesus and you love Jesus, but all of a sudden the things that you grew up seeing are starting to come out in your life and you're saying to yourself, I don't want this, I don't know why I'm doing this, but it's coming out of me. What about as a parent? You had a harsh angry, vicious parent, and you vowed to yourself you would never parent that way, and then you had kids. And now you're looking at yourself saying, I am doing the same things to my child that traumatized me as a kid, and I don't want to do this. I don't long to do it, but I am doing it. How do I fix this? How do I stop this? Maybe you lived in a situation around someone who is abusive or harsh or angry for far too long, and yet the tendencies that you learned there became the only way you knew how to cope in something else. So the things that are coming out of you are things that you experience that you want nothing to do with, but they were planted right here. And when they come out here, you find yourself saying, what am I doing? And why do I keep doing it? How do we fix it? When the waters of God, the healing waters of God, enter your spirit, and they take root in your spirit, three things happen. There is spiritual healing. There is physical healing. And there is fruitfulness that begins to heal. Let's dive into all three. You'll remember the past three weeks, the past two weeks. uh, Number one, the dove was God's power becomes personal. Number two was the wind. And the wind represents God's power bringing life. Number three for us today, it's water. And it's God's power to heal. Let's start with spiritual. God's power to heal us spiritually. It's Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. I just read these to you. I'll I'll touch on them again. It's, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. He's saying, I'm going to drizzle the water of God's spirit on you. And when it hits you, new heart, new spirit, new you. Someone completely different. You know me and you know one phrase that drives me nuts is this is just the way that I am. My dad was always angry, so I'm always angry. It's just the way that I am. My whoever was always negative and complaining, so I'm always negative and complaining. It's just the way I am. It drives me nuts. It may be the way you are, but you can change. You change by the power of the Spirit that gives you a new heart, that gives you a new mind, that gives you a new life. Zechariah 13, 1, on that day, a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. Skip down to John 4, 13 through 14. 
Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. Verse 14, but he says, those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It will become a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. 1 Peter 3.18, he says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous and the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the Spirit. Reverse osmosis is the process of taking water and pushing it through a membrane, and that membrane is small enough to where it keeps out any of the contaminated larger molecules. It holds them out so that the only stuff that arrives on the other side is pure and clean and able to be drank, right? That's the process of reverse osmosis. Beyond that really cool little scientific tidbit there is, for me, the process of how it came about. How did reverse osmosis come about? It happened in World War II. There was a submarine that was storing water and food on their ship, and they, they, water took up a lot of space in their storage, so they, they didn't store as much as they should, and they found themselves drifting into a place where they were detectable by the enemy, so they sank to the bottom of the ocean floor, and they stayed there. And as they were waiting out the enemy ships to move on, they ran out of water on the submarine. The whole crew nearly died of thirst. Thank God it finally came to a point where the other ships had cleared out and they came back up to the top and they were determined, don't, don't miss this, the, the irony was not missed on the captains or on the military when they said, how can we be surrounded by a massive body of water and be dying of thirst? How can you be surrounded by the Spirit of God, by a massive body of water, and yet still be dying of thirst. So they came up with and they created the process of reverse osmosis. And here's what it did. It let everything that was impure come inside and bring purity. It let everything that was outside surrounding the ship that was impure, it brought it in and it became a place of purity that could sustain them. And it was limitless. They took the limitless supply of water that was around them and they allowed it in and into a place where it could become pure and it could become nourishing to them. That is the process of the Holy Spirit. We have to open our heart up to the Spirit. Spirit, what do you have for me? What do you desire? desire to speak to me? How can you heal me? And when you open yourself up to the Holy Spirit, the waters of the Spirit come crashing into your soul. And then you no longer sit there ashamed of your past because the Spirit washes it away. You no longer sit there ashamed of your sin. Why? Because the Spirit washes it away. You no longer sit there broken and incomplete and feeling inadequate. Why? Because the waters of the Spirit wash them away. Do you see it yet? In Ezekiel's vision, he said you will have a new heart and a new spirit. Zechariah said there are waters that will flow from the temple that will cleanse you. They will transform you. They will remove those lingering things that you have held on to forever and they will wash them away by the power of the Spirit. Number two, the power of God to heal physically. we got to take some time here. 
Ezekiel 37, or 47, verse 12. I want you to connect the dots on a couple of words. We're going to use this passage of Scripture here, and we're going to use it at the, at the next point in a different context. But Ezekiel 47, 12, he says, Fruit from the trees of all kinds will grow along both sides of the river. The leaves of these trees will never turn brown or fall, and there will always be fruit on their branches. There will be a new crop every month, for they are watered by the river flowing from the temple. The fruit will be food and the leaves for healing. That is the only place in Hebrew where that word occurs in the Hebrew Bible, in the Old Testament. And it, it is the t- it's a combination of two words. It is one word that means to tremble. It is a sudden shock or a sudden tremble. The other one is a very commonly used Hebrew word for physical healing. So Ezekiel is saying the water from this temple, when it touches you, it can be a shock, a jolting shock of physical healing that touches you. Revelation 22, 1 through 2. It says, Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. That's the Greek word therapia. The English word, what do you think it is? Therapy. To restore physically. He's saying again that there is a water that flows from this temple that has the power to heal your body. To touch your body and to heal, to restore your body. Remember now, week one we said the miracles of Jesus were not to prove who Jesus was. They were to prove that the power of the Holy Spirit was on him, right? The Spirit was the one who was doing the miracles. I, I want to connect with you because this is, this is something that is very, very common. How do we approach healing? How do we believe for healing? What do we believe about physical healing? How do we approach physical healing when it comes to God? Just catch me, and if you are in a place where you are believing for physical healing, let me align this for you scripturally, okay? Isaiah 55, or 53, 5. We see physical healing right where we see salvation, okay? It says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. That's the second part of that Hebrew word, very common for physical healing. What do we see here? We see salvation, bloodshed, physical healing, body broken. What does Paul tell us in the communion chapter? I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It may be 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, communion, he says, this is the blood of Christ that was shed for you to forgive you of your sins. This is the body of Christ that was broken for your healing. So we approach physical healing the same way we approach salvation. Let me give it to you. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. This is the recipe for approaching physical healing. For it is by grace. Say that with me. It is one more time. Wake up. For it is it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith. Say that with me. Through faith. One more time. Through faith. It is by grace, through faith, and this is not for yourselves. It is a gift of God. So how do we approach physical healing? We have to understand two things. One, it is by God's grace. 
Healing comes by God's grace and God's grace alone. And healing is not a gift that I give. It is a gift that God gives. My role in physical healing is to approach it through faith. Through faith, by God's grace. Now, my job is through faith. So when, when you come to me and you say, man, we need healing here. Through faith, I'm going to pray. I'm going to anoint with oil. I'm going to lay my hands on you. I am going to do everything that I can to pray and believe God for healing. But at the end of the day, we all have to become okay with this right here. That healing is by God's grace. It's by God's grace. I can't command God to heal. I can believe through faith that God will heal and healing will come. Whether it's now or whether it's in eternity, healing will come. But I can't worship the healing. I have to worship the one who can heal. Because here's what happens. When I start worshiping the healing, when God doesn't do what I want him to, I get frustrated with him. When I start worshiping the healing that I, God, I need you to heal here. I need you to physically heal here. I need you to touch this body here. When I start praying and believing for that, and I start worshiping the healing rather than the healer, I'm getting frustrated with God for not doing what I want him to do. It is by God's grace. And thank God it is by God's grace because he knows better than I do. I had a professor who said this. Uh, his name was Professor Green, Dr. Green. I want to have him come preach here. He's a great man. He said, a healed body is no closer to a resurrected body than a sick one. Think about that for a second. He said, a healed body is no closer to a resurrected body than a sick one. He was alluding to C.S. Lewis's quote. C.S. Lewis said, the saddest day for Mary and Martha had to have been when Lazarus died a second time. Think, let that sink in for a minute. He said, because the first time Lazarus died, he was resurrected. His body was risen. He was, he was raised. And everyone was celebrating and everyone was cheering. But the second time that he died, it didn't happen. Yet he was with the Father. He was with the Father in eternity. Yet for them, it had to have been the saddest. We can get to this place where we begin to worship the healing that we need and not the one with the power to heal and just declare it is by God's grace. Let me give you this. My, this is my go-to verse when it comes to healing. Daniel 3, 16 through 18. This is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're about to be thrown into the fiery furnace and listen to what they say. They said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. Verse 18, listen to this. But even if he doesn't, can you say that? But even if he doesn't, can your faith say that in the middle of believing for something, in the middle of hoping that this terrible thing doesn't happen, can you say, but even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that you will never serve, we will never serve your gods or worship the, go the gold statue you have set up before us. Faith is not God, give me what I want. Faith is, I worship you no matter what. And I'm believing you for this, and I'm asking you for this, and I'm standing in the gap for this, and I am praying for this. But even if, 
I'll worship you. Even if I will glorify you. Let me share with you a, a physical healing story for me. I, I was supposed to preach at a young adult's night on a Sunday night, and I was crazy sick. I mean, I, it was sickest I've ever been. I could not get up. I was laying in a chair, and the time was ticking down, and I knew I couldn't. I got ready to reach out to some people to speak for me, and the Lord just spoke to me, you need to preach this event. And I, no, I, do, I don't want to. I have no desire to. I, I can't. I'm physically dead, right? And the Lord kept speaking to me, you need to go speak this event. So I finally got enough energy. I got up, and I got in my truck, and I drove to the church, and I parked at the church, and I leaned my seat back, and I was so sick, I couldn't get out of my truck. I rolled my window down, leaned my seat back, and I was just laying there, and I was saying to myself, how can I preach? And then I remembered the passage that I had built the message on, 2 Kings 4 and 5, the healing of the Shunammite woman's son. And I thought, how on earth am I going to preach on healing when I am dying? Like, how am I going to preach about this? I have no idea. So I was just, I just laid there till about 10 minutes before, and I, I didn't know what to do. I was so sick. I got out of my truck, and I walked up to the glass double doors, and when I got there, I was so sick, I leaned against the wall, and I couldn't even, I had to scan my key fob to get in the church, and I just couldn't even do it, and then I knelt down to my knees, and I kid you not, I get weird talking about it. I said, Lord, heal me. Just touch my body, and I'm, you know I wouldn't lie to you. I got up, and I felt a hundred percent okay. I mean, I hadn't eaten all day, and I was full of energy. I could not walk without leaning against something, and I ran through the doors of that church. I thought I was literally not going to be able to get out of my truck, and the Lord touched my body and healed me by the Spirit of God to heal physically. Now, I've been praying for years for God to do a healing work in a situation in my family. It hasn't happened yet. And I pray every day for it. I'm begging God for it. And I am believing God for it. And do you know how many times the enemy has tried to tell me, well, you know, you're, you're not doing this right. You're not walking right here. You're screwing this up. Well, God's not going to honor us. And do you know how many times I've had to look at him and say, even if you're not going to get me. Even if you're not getting me, even if I won't worship you, I won't, I won't stand with you, I won't think, I won't give you two cents of my time, even if I am going to worship you. The Spirit of God to heal is the fact that God has healed. He will heal. And where that healing manifests, whether it's here on earth or in heaven, it doesn't change our worship. We stand and we worship the Lord because it's by grace, through faith, that we approach it. All right, now we got to finish. The power of God to heal fruit. Let me bring it all together. Bounce back with me. Can you bounce back with me? Bounce back with me. Come on, let me see you bounce back with me. Bounce back with me. Let's finish right here. Ezekiel 47, verse 12. Catch these two coming together. I'm going to make it really quick. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow along both sides of the river. The leaves of these trees will never turn brown and fall, and there will always be fruit on their branches. There will be a new crop every month, for they are watered by the river flowing from the temple. The fruit will be food and the leaves for healing. John 7, 37-39. Listen to Jesus. On the last and greatest day 
of the festival. Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in were later to receive. Up until that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. Really quick, 737, that verse, it says, The last day of the festival, okay? That was the Festival of Tabernacles. And here's what happened at the Festival of Tabernacles. All the Jewish people would gather around, and the priests would get these clay pots, and they would go, and they would pick up water, and they would walk to the temple stairs, and they would pour that water down the temple stairs, mimicking the vision of Ezekiel that Ezekiel had in chapter 47, right? So on the seventh day of that tabernacle, they would do it seven times. So seven times the priests would go, they would get a clay jar of water, they would walk up to the top of the temple, they would pour it down the steps facing east, and all the Jews would gather around, and they were worshiping, and they were singing hymns, and they were praying, and they were asking the God of the, uh, they were asking the God of the temple to send them a touch from the water. They were down there, and the water would hit their feet, and they would start rejoicing. The water would hit their knees, and they would start celebrating, and they would say, Water that brings healing, touch me and touch my body. And then Jesus stands up at the festival. And what does he say? If anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. If any of you is thirsty, come to me. And rivers of living water will flow from you. The water will touch you. The water will fill you, and the water will change you. What is the water? It's a metaphor for the Spirit. Where has the Spirit been the whole time? It was in the river, in the Garden of Eden. It was in Ezekiel's message. It's in Jesus' message when he stands up at the Feast of Tabernacles as they're pouring water down the steps and declares, If anyone is thirsty, I'm the river. I'm the water that gives life. I had a golden retriever uh, that was the greatest dog I'd ever had in my life. There was one problem with her. She was scared of water. How is a golden retriever scared of water, right? And then all of a sudden, I would, I would take her to a body of water, and she would get right up to the edge. And you, you know when a dog digs their heels in, right? Like, they become immovable. They channel this 10x strength, and I'm pushing, and she's scurrying back, and she would not go near water. I'd turn the hose on, take off running away from water. So finally, I went to my friend's house, and they had a pool, and their dog was swimming, and my dog, my golden, was just sitting there and would not go near it. And I thought, this is the moment. This is the moment this dog understands her bloodline. She's a retriever. She's going to retrieve, right? So I picked her up, and I mean, this dog kicking and scratching and everything, and I threw her into the pool, and she splash, hits the pool, goes under, comes out, scurries to the side, and like a rocket, takes off running, runs all the way around. You know when a dog's really happy and they have that mad, crazy sprint, their mouth is wide open, their tongue's hanging out, their ears are blown back. She flies around, runs up, and whoo! All on her own, splash! 
splashes back into the water. And I mean, then it got to a point where I could not keep her out of the water. We would literally be going home and there would be a ditch that was full of water. She'd take off, run into it, retention ponds. She swam in all of that nasty stuff. I couldn't get her out of them. There was this one time, there was this huge rainstorm and it was all muddy and I was walking inside and she literally busted free and went nose diving through this muddy, nasty water. It was so funny. She hated the water, wanted nothing to do with the water until she went into the water and then she couldn't get enough. Listen to me. Let me wrap this whole thing up. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that we are to be a temple for the Holy Spirit. The river was in Genesis. The river was in Ezekiel. Jesus in John chapter 7 says, I am the river. Come and drink. Our lives are not meant to be lived on the banks of the river. We are to dive in. Oh, that was a lot of work. We're to dive in. You're not meant to just look at water. The water of the Spirit is to heal your soul. The water of the Spirit is to touch your body. The water of the Spirit is then to come into you and to heal you and then to make you a great healer so that it goes out of you to touch other people.